0: In this first episode of season two, I am chatting with Cynthia Thurlow. She is a nurse practitioner, functional nutritionist, an intermittent fasting expert. And not only that, she has also done a TED Talk on intermittent fasting that has gone viral. We are talking in this episode about perimenopause and menopause and how women can not only survive through this stage of life, but also thrive through it. I love Cynthia because she addresses mindset and how really the only thing holding us back are our own limiting beliefs. In this episode, she helps us figure out what we need to do as we enter this phase of our life in terms of our nutrition, in terms of our workouts, in terms of our sleep, in terms of alcohol, and really shows us, again, that we don't have to settle for anything less than our best. And that's what we talk about on this podcast. We talk about you living your best life. And we're all getting older. We can't deny that. Women, we are going to go through this phase. And Cynthia mentioned in the podcast, we're in menopause for 40% of our life. So you deserve to feel and look as good as you want to. So let us know what questions you have. I have links to Cynthia in the show notes. Enjoy this first episode and I'll talk to you soon. Welcome back to the show, everyone. I am so honored today because I have my friend Cynthia Thurlow here with us. Cynthia is a nurse practitioner and a functional nutrition and intermittent fasting expert. And I have to tell you right off the bat, she has an amazing TED talk all about intermittent fasting, which when I was looking at your website, I noticed in March, by March, 7.3 million people have watched it. Where's it at now?
1: Uh, it's almost 7.5. And I, the only reason why I know the answer to that is that my boys liked to follow how many views and they like to look at the comments, to, which I try to encourage them not to do. Because for right. every nice comment, there's like a stupid comment. And I'm going to just say the word stupid, which I don't like that word. But you just kind of think to yourself, like this keyboard troll who probably lives in like their parents' basement and is just a gigantic loser decides to get on and just be nasty for no reason. Uh, and so, yes, um, it, that, that Ted Talk has definitely opened up a lot of doors and opportunities. And you know, as an introvert, it was really just done to uh, do something challenging that wasn't too, too scary. And that was really the impetus for, for heading down that path. But yeah, it uh, continues to get more views. And that's, really a, that's the cool thing about social media is that you have content that can live and breathe um, out there forever.
0: Well, and if you could talk a little bit about, you know, what was happening in your life before you gave that TED Talk, because that's after you got really sick, right? Mm -hmm.
1: So I had committed to doing that talk in December of 2018. And I was really excited because I was born in South Carolina, still have a lot of family there and have a lot of wonderful memories. And so I was invited to speak in Greenville, South Carolina, which is really an amazing, wonderful city. And about six weeks before the talk, I actually went on vacation with my husband. I never get to travel with him for business. And so he had business in Hawaii and I told him, well, I'm going with you. And so my mom came to stay with our boys. I was there for four or five days, came home. And about hmm, a day and a half, two days after I got back, I thought I had food poisoning. Turned out I didn't have food poisoning. What I had was a ruptured appendix and a slew of complications. And so that started a 13-day hospitalization where I had uh, probably every complication you could think of other than death and was very, very sick. I lost 15 pounds and I'm not a big person to begin with. And so the first week I was in the hospital, I don't remember a whole lot, but I do remember in the second week, I was like, I want to get home to my family and I'm still going to do this talk. And so with the blessing of my surgeon and the curator, who probably thought I was bananas. It was part of my mental recovery. And so 27 days after I was discharged, I went on to do that TED talk, which has gone viral. And so uh, I've gotten a lot of people asking me, um, you know, why do you look so, I've had people ask, why do you look frail? Why do you look green? And so I, I always remind people that there's always a backstory, but for me, getting up and doing that talk was about the most terrifying thing I've ever done because I still wasn't a hundred percent, like my brain had not caught up with my body. It was probably the next month that I was like, whoa, like I almost died. Uh And then I, you know, flew down and did this talk. And then 10 days after the talk, I had my appendix removed. So it's quite a, it's quite an interesting journey, but I kind of now marvel at um, how critical our mindset is on so many levels, because I could have easily not done that talk. I could have talked myself out of it, but I was really committed. I, I wanted my children to understand that your body can fail, but mm-hmm. your mindset is the most important thing you possess. And so being able to get up there and be loud and proud <laughs> and yeah, do a 12 minute talk has really changed my life. So it's such a blessing. Like I say all the time, being hospitalized is a blessing because you don't appreciate your health until you have a health hookup like I did, even as a healthcare provider. And certainly we all have adversity. There's no one that um, is listening that hasn't had some adversity in their lives. And it all depends on you know, what we do with it. You know, do we allow it to propel us forward or do we allow it to drag us down?
0: 100%. Yeah. So before I ask you about today's topic, I wanna to touch on this mindset because I try and talk a lot about mindset on the show. You guys, if you don't know Cynthia yet, I've watched her skyrocket. I mean, I don't know when I first met you, probably three, four years ago. And watching you grow and evolve, it's so exciting for me. Because I'm like, "Um, I know her. And (laughs) (laughs) I find it very inspirational. And, you know... while we don't know each other in person, I do consider you my friend Mm -hmm. and it shows me what's possible. Like I said, do you attribute your mindset to the growth that you've had over the last
1: two years? I think I've just, um, I I think mindset is part of it. Mindset and opportunity. There Uh were a lot of opportunities that presented themselves. And so each time I saw an opportunity, I jumped. And even though, you know, my husband at times thought I was bananas you know, there they're very specific things that all make sense now, mm-hmm. uh, that explain why I am where I am. And mm-hmm. so as an introvert, I, I look back and I'm like, wow, those were all the right decisions to take. So I, I think it's it's easy for us to play it safe and to play small. Mm-hmm. And and yet uh each time I've been presented with opportunities, I've really tried to be open to them. I mean, that's the first that's the first piece of it. Mm-hmm. You know, it may not sound like the right thing to do at the time, but okay, let's be open-minded and, and let's kind of investigate, you know, that's, that's my typical mindset. Like, let me get more information and then I can make a decision, but also sometimes just trusting the process, mm-hmm. you know, having to kind of walk that tight rope and, and recognize that sometimes you don't know if you're headed in the right direction. You just, you'll eventually kind of get to a point where you're like, okay, this is where I'm meant to be. Mm-hmm. And so for me, um, there were some really big wins this year. And so uh, I was actually saying to my mom because my husband understood this and my kids did, cause they were kind of, they have been part of all of it. And I said, this year for me, there was, there was an event that occurred that for me was the most thing, the thing I'm most proud of other than being a mom and a wife, mm-hmm. it is the thing I'm most proud of because Uh, it's, it's like that diamond in the rough or that unicorn It's it, that's not the normal, you know, transitional position to be in, but yet I was offered an incredible opportunity and I really nailed it. And so that was really, really cool. Um, and so I just sit back and I marvel and I just say, yes, 2020 to 2020 for every single one of us looked very different than what we expected it to, Mm -hmm. but yet out of so much adversity, again, here's this theme out of so much adversity, we can have opportunities to pivot and shift and change. And so that's, that's this year on so many levels. I just sit back in gratitude. I'm like, yeah, I can't travel. And that stinks, right. but we're healthy. You know, Absolutely. With my teenagers than I would have ever expected to uh, oh. a lot of togetherness. So anyone that's listening, it's like, you better really like who you live with. Cause you're going to spend a lot of time with them. <laughs> So
0: let's talk about
1: this. So you are a nurse practitioner,
0: but you don't like, you don't work in the hospital or in a private practice anymore, correct?
1: No. Uh, in April will be five years that I left and uh, kind of dove into being an entrepreneur. And, and I can tell you without question, that 2020 validated for me on every level that I'm glad I made that change because it, it would be very hard to come home every day and be worried I was transmitting a virus. And, and let me be very clear for anyone who's listening that are healthcare providers. I am so grateful that so many of my friends are still frontlining it. I'm just not there anymore. I got to a point where I needed to focus on other things. So their sacrifices, I'm very uh, great, grateful for, but it just, my heart wasn't in it anymore. And uh, that's the perfect time to kind of leave and do something different. So yeah, not practicing in the capacity that I was, I was an adrenaline junkie, worked in cardiology, saw the sickest of the sick, and so I do still have my nurse practitioner license. I do still write some prescriptions, uh, but that's not the focus of my work anymore. And actually, I, I find great joy in what I'm doing. I appreciate it a whole lot more. I get to practice the way I want to. I don't have anyone shaking their finger at me and telling me how to practice, which I grew really tired of uh, after many, many years of being an MP. So yeah, different different focus, but I still have the licensing piece and, and try to you know, stay on top of latest research and, and things that are relevant to, to being a healthcare provider for sure.
0: So now do you work with women individually? What's your practice look like now?
1: Yeah. So I do a lot of group work. I uh, do work one-on-one, but with a very small group of women, I just content, like, I, I keep saying like, okay, I don't want to work with as many people. So I'll adjust um, the investment point or piece and I've really just cultivated an amazing group of women that I work with. I don't work with any men. I have a couple children that I work with on a very individual basis, um, generally as favors to other people, but uh, generally women that are 35 to 55, that are kind of stuck. Uh, and I say stuck because for many people that those are the, that's the age range of, you know, where people are kind of heading into perimenopause, getting closer to menopause and the game shifts, you know, that's that's one of the, the cruel jokes is that we're taught a lot about menstruation, you know, getting our periods, birth control, getting pregnant, having a baby, postpartum, and then there's not a lot of discussion about what we have to anticipate or look forward to or not uh, as we start getting older. And and so I kind of, through my own journey, because I'm obviously a middle-aged woman, started to realize there was really not, there aren't enough people talking about the changes that occur in a woman's uh, body or, you know, what occurs for them mentally. And uh, that became my area of focus. So uh, to me, it, it's incredibly gratifying to be able to help women determine what's going on with their bodies, You know, through a combination of nutrition and then also testing and um, a lot of self-care because we're all kind of convinced that self-care is selfish, but we also recognize that that couldn't be farther from the truth. we got to take care of ourselves first so that we can give to others, And uh, I think there's just this mentality here in the United States in particular that you can sleep when you're dead. You know, you, you food is, food is not meant to be savored. Food is a means to an end. And we're always in a rush and we're always on the go and we have to work out harder, not smarter. And then you see, you know, lots of fit pros on social media that are like, and I'm not picking on anyone, I'm just going to pick a number. They're like 25 or 30. And they're trying to tell middle aged women that what they're doing is wrong. And really, what I want to remind them is, is enjoy this stage that you're at, because it does not get easier as you get older. In fact, I have to be even more conscientious in the latter 40s of my life than I have ever had to be. And that's even with all the things that I do. So, uh, you know, I think that, I'm a, I'm a big believer in slang limiting beliefs and helping educate people so that they know what to anticipate because no one told me what to anticipate. I just kind of hit perimenopause. Like I flew into a wall. Mm-hmm. And so that's the basis. I always say, I use that as inspiration because I know what it felt like to be, feel stuck and fat. And mm-hmm. I don't even like that word, but that's how I felt. And I couldn't sleep. And I was, you know, feeling really badly about myself. I was like, I've never had a weight problem. And now all of a sudden, like when you're five foot 3 10 pounds on a five foot three person can make you feel really kind of, you know, frumpy. Absolutely. You don't feel good about yourself.
0: Oh, I love that you said that because this has come up so many times. Um, of course, people know that I'm a huge fan of nutrition and that's what I do, but also the testing mm-hmm. people need to invest in the right test and not the tests your regular doctor are running because One thing I love it. I was just browsing your website before we hopped on and it's such a common theme. Your doctor says you're quote unquote, fine. You're in like the normal part of the range, which is the hugest range I've ever seen in my life. So what kind of testing do you recommend?
1: Yeah. So typically by the time someone comes to me, they've done all the things. Like I always say, I play well with others. So you've gone to your physician or nurse practitioner, PA, And they've done all the standard stuff. They've done like maybe two thyroid tests. You know, you're not anemic. Uh, You know, you don't have anything serious going on. And then we kind of work backwards. And so I always look at food sensitivity testing. And yes, inflammation that can be derived from things as benign as specific vegetables you eat. I almost cried. I recently did one of, I recently did testing on myself, like I do every year. And it was like, my husband, I can almost cry like I love cucumbers. But you know, cucumbers in and of themselves, if you eat them consistently, and you've got some gut health issues, you can actually uh, drive inflammation in the body. So food sensitivity testing is without question. I like to use a stool test called the GI map, which is DNA based stool testing, really looking at imbalances, looking at dysbiosis, which is weeds in the garden, looking at underlying uh, infections, that you may not be aware of h pylori, I have not run one test on anyone this entire year since covid started that has not had re as a reactivation of h pylori which if left untreated can can make us prone or or potentially cause you know duodenal or gastric ulcers sometimes some precancerous issues Um, and then you know looking at candida which is you know the fungus or parasites or worms or all sorts of digestive issues so I, i generally start with those two I really like to get a comprehensive thyroid panel. And that's beyond just a TSH and a free T4. In fact, I just had a great conversation with Elle Russ about this topic in particular, because she is very much a thyroid advocate. And she talks a lot about how most people are not having their thyroid tested properly. And so that becomes a whole other issue. But when I'm looking at You know standard blood tests. So looking at thyroid, looking at um, a complete blood count, looking at iron and ferritin, which are iron stores, uh, looking at uh, zinc and magnesium, which are important cofactors for thyroid production, looking at iodine, B vitamins, vitamin D. I'm sure you probably are aware that low vitamin D can impact immune function as well as blood sugar regulation. So in light of COVID, everyone should know their vitamin D numbers and there's no shame in having to take a supplement. This is a good Point in the year, I'm not sure if everyone can see me, but I'm literally wearing like this massive turtleneck sweater. And so it's like 30 degrees here in Washington, D.C. So I'm even if I'm outside every day, it's only my head, maybe my face, right, that is getting any sun exposure. So um, that's a good starting point. But I also like to use the Dutch, which is a dried urine and saliva test. And that can be very helpful for. Getting a sense of your overall cortisol, cortisol is that hormone that is highest in the morning, ebbs and flows throughout the day, and should be lowest at night, but most of us are grossly imbalanced, either from our body perceiving that we are under undue amounts of stress, Uh, I call it sympathetic dominance, meaning our body thinks, perceives, we're being chased by a saber-toothed tiger, When in essence, we're just dealing with day-to-day stress and our body doesn't differentiate that. So we're never really truly relaxed. Mm -hmm. So looking at cortisol, looking at sex hormones, so um, progesterone, testosterone, there's actually metabolites of estrogen. There are three different types of estrogen. Estradiol is our predominant form of estrogen up until when we go through menopause. And then really looking at things like melatonin, which is that hormone that is secreted in the brain that tells our body it's time to go to bed. And so what I oftentimes find, and that this test has a lot more to it, but those are kind of the high points. What I find is most women are, all, are doing all the wrong things and not because they don't want to do better. Yeah. It's because they've been conditioned to believe that they have to be, you know, like now that I have teenagers, it's very different. I used to be very productive in the evening. Well, now there's no productivity in the <laughs> evening unless I lock myself in my study, but really kind of explaining to people, Yes you know, having exposure from electronics during the day is cumulatively, if you're doing that 12 hours a day, the blue light from those electronics is considered to be junk light. And that can dysregulate that key hormone melatonin. And it can explain why maybe you sit up at night with your spouse and you're watching a movie and then you get in bed and you're like, I'm totally wired. Well, it's because your body is like, okay, I need to be awake. So let me stop secreting melatonin, I'm going to, I'm going to pump up cortisol and you're going to be wired and tired. And so that's always a good starting point. There's other tests that I do work with, but those are those three big functional tests I work with quite a bit. And then some of the, you know, kind of standard testing that I mentioned earlier, I think those are really comprehensive ways to get a sense for where we are with our hormones. How well are we taking care of our bodies? Oh, I want to make sure I also mentioned fasting insulin. Yeah. This is a very normal lab, but very few clinicians are using. It It is oftentimes the very first lab that will become abnormal if we are becoming insulin resistant. And why is this important? Because as women get closer to perimenopause, the five to seven years preceding menopause and closer to menopause, we become functionally insulin resistant. And you could still be a healthy weight. You could have a pristine diet, your sleep and your stress management could all be dialed in you are going to be more prone to insulin resistance. And this is why women start to gain weight. Yeah. This is one of the reasons why. So you need to know what your fasting insulin is, much like you need to know what all these other labs are. And so even like the hemoglobin A1C, which everyone leans on heavily, they're like, it's a 90 day snapshot of how well our blood sugar is controlled. Well, I was actually interviewing someone the other day and you know she works in the blood sugar space. And she said, 50% of those aren't sensitive. So you could, if you're depending on a hemoglobin A1C, what you really need is a fasting blood sugar, fasting glucose, fasting insulin, take a look at those. you fasting insulin. You want it no higher than eight, like between three and eight is kind of what we're looking for. I may even argue lower is better, meaning between two and seven is kind of where I like to see my patients. Mm -hmm. If someone's like 7.5, 8, 10 you have work to do. And so there's lots of little tips and tricks um, that I use to help people uh, with this specifically, but, you know, be your own best advocate. And and if you can't find someone that's willing to order some of those more functional tests, there are, you know, resources uh, online, you know, you can go to www.ifm.org. I is an icicle, F F is in Frank, M is in Mary. And you can find a functional medicine provider in your area. And so sometimes that can be a way to kind of work around it. But just as important as doing the test is finding someone that knows how to interpret it properly. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of people that come to me, I'll say to them when they bring their testing, okay, so what did the doctor say to you about this? And they give like the most cursory explanation. I'm like, okay, so you spent $300 or $400 or more on a test and you got no information so really really important that you work with someone that knows what they're talking about knows how to interpret it knows how to make recommendations specific to you because there's no one size fits all like that's the one thing that's different that differentiates kind of allopathic medicine where we look at everyone really with the same lens Versus a functional approach uh, is really saying, okay, bioindividuality is key. And we really need to find strategies that work best for you. Because if I take 10 women that are all the same age, let's say 10 women are 45, I can assure you that they don't all need the same exact stuff. So, really recognizing that um, we all need different little fine tuning to figure out what works best for us. I love this again, because this just echoes two other conversations that I've recently
0: had that hopefully listeners you, you listen to Dr. Jordan and this is the way I, I do believe that functional medicine is the way that we all need to be going and you answered my question I was like so where can I get the comprehensive thyroid, is it going to have to be a
1: functional doctor. No, I mean, I feel like it's becoming much more common to have um, providers that are looking at things a bit more comprehensively. So you want a TSH, you want a free T3 and T4, you want a total T3 and T4. You want to make sure they check antibodies and you absolutely want to reverse T3. And for anyone that's listening, that's not familiar with these terms, The basic kind of oversight is T4 is the inactive form of thyroid hormone. T3 is our active form of thyroid hormone. So some people have problems converting from inactive to active, which is why medications like Synthroid may not work well for some individuals. And that is probably the number one prescribed medication. It's also a synthetic form of T4. Unfortunately, three months ago, most of the non-synthetic thyroid medications were pulled off the market. Myself included, like my medication, and it's been three months of trying different things. And you know, it's you know, I'm completely sympathetic to what people are going through right now. But really important for people to understand a T4, well, whether it's total or free, is really just giving you a sense of what reserves, what can be converted to T3. But if your guts a mess, like I was talking about doing the GI map, um, if you're totally stressed out. I mean, there are things that can happen that can impact this conversion. Every single cell in the body has a thyroid receptor on it. So if you feel like you're, everything's dragging, you're constipated, your skin is dry, you know, you can't think straight, ask for someone to work you up for hypothyroidism. Also, excuse me, very common to see an underactive thyroid and perimenopause. And ladies that can start in your late thirties, early forties. So don't assume I have women say I'm 48 years old. I still get my period. I was like, you probably don't ovulate mm-hmm. and you very much are in perimenopause. You know, it's, it's when we get these fluctuations. You know, first, our adrenals um, have to pick up the slack for um, less progesterone that's being produced by our ovaries. I, and we are born with our ovaries. Like, they don't, we don't produce more ovaries. Like, men can produce fresh sperm every three days. We are born what we have. So, the age I am, that's how old my ovaries are. Mm-hmm. And mine are like sputtering to the very end, they're trying to cross the finish line. But if you're in your like mid to late 40s, you are in perimenopause. Like people like to argue with me about this all the time. And I'm like, okay, I'm not gonna argue with you. I'm just gonna tell you physiologically, your ovaries are producing less progesterone, you become relatively estrogen dominant, more circulating estrogen means people end up developing these really heavy periods. I call it the crime scene period. Mm-hmm. They generally have sometimes they can have fibrocystic breasts, they may feel bloated, they're gonna gain weight, they're not gonna feel good, they may have skin eruptions like acne or breakouts. And, you know, as if it's not bad enough that teenagers deal with this, to have it as a mature woman is so not cool or fun. I'm like, I'm just glad that's like behind me now. I haven't had a pimple in a long time, but I have friends who are like, what in the world is going on? Like my teenager has pimples and I do. It's just so wrong.
0: Oh my gosh. So you did mention something you've talked about stress Mm -hmm. and you've talked about Mm -hmm. self-care. I don't think people believe us. Right. That they, could cha- they could, I don't want to say fix, but they could improve so much of their quality of life by addressing their stress mm-hmm. and doing a little bit of self-care. Can you speak to the importance yep. of this, how it is not selfish and it is not just manicures and bubble
1: baths? Yep, totally. Well, so remember what I said about being sympathetic dominant, you know, we have two sides to the central nervous system, the parasympathetic rest and repose. And then we have the sympathetic, the, you know, I've got to get up and get stuff done. Well, for most of us Westernized people, we are very much caught in the rat brain. Even with COVID, we are so preoccupied with the to-do list and go, 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 go. And I've gotta go to the gym and I've gotta go to the grocery store and I've gotta do this and I've gotta do that. And so I remind people that it's really critical to get ourselves out of that sympathetic drive. And so it could be as simple as I'm going to sit and eat my lunch and my kids know this. I mean, this is one of the benefits of leaving clinical medicine was I actually got to sit and eat my lunch for the first time in like forever when I left clinical medicine. And so there's like 15 or 20 minutes, I will sit. I don't want anyone to talk to me. Mm-hmm. I may look outside. I may sit there and just you know ponder the universe, but I am relaxed. Mm-hmm. And only when your body is relaxed, can you digest your food? So if you are on the go and you're eating a protein bar and drinking a protein shake, and you've got your to-do list and you're running from store to store to store, Uh, you're not in the parasympathetic, you're in the sympathetic. So I like to remind people, it starts with digestions in your brain, really important that we are relaxed when we're eating, especially, you know, most women at this stage are like complaining, I'm bloated, I'm this, I'm that. I'm like, okay, well, let's kind of unpack what we're doing. So the first thing about self-care that I think is important is the digestion. So like the food piece, but it's also recognizing that we have to work a little harder Mm -hmm. In perimenopause and menopause, to kind of get ourselves out of that brain, out of that mindset, and so this is when meditation can be really beneficial. And I, I'll be honest, I fought this for such a long period of time, but I actually bought a gadget that I have no affiliation with. It's called Muse, M-U-S-E. Have you heard of it? No. Okay, so it's a little headband that you wear, but it literally tells you if you're in the right frame of mind to be able to meditate. And so for me, I needed to have the gadget to tell me that I was like in the right frame of mind. And, and I tell everyone, everyone has three minutes to meditate. Every single person yeah. listening three minutes. I'm not saying to start with 30 because you may set yourself up for a little bit of a disaster, but I always say, start with three minutes a day, then go to five, then maybe go to 10, whatever your schedule permits. And for me, like when I get up in the morning, I do best with doing it. Then I would more likely to like Sit in, and it's funny. I'm in a rental, so I sit in this big bathroom and I sit on the edge of the tub, and that's where I meditate. And that works for me. But finding a time in your day when you can have a little bit of quiet, take your three minutes, and it's amazing how much more calm and relaxed you will start your day. So I think, you know, cultivating little rituals and whether it's like I like to work out in the morning, I like to work out fasted, uh, I like to make sure I get plenty of, you know, water and electrolytes in the morning, in particular. So the self-care piece can be as simple as three minutes of meditation, but it it means you really have to honor taking care of you throughout the day. And it could be very little things like sitting to have your lunch, saying no. Like I am a huge advocate of not doing things you don't want to do. Like I love my mother, but my mother equates with drama. And so this is the first year I have not, that I can remember that I've not spent Christmas with my mom because my mom is in a vulnerable age group And is in a part of the air of of, uh, another state that accompanies ours, where there's been this huge outbreak of COVID. And so I said, it's not smart for us to come. We got teenagers, my husband and I and two dogs. And so we opted not to travel for Christmas. Uh, And I can honestly tell you, it's the most relaxing Christmas I've ever had as an adult Because we did as a family exactly what we wanted to do, which meant we didn't do a lot of things we normally do. Mm -hmm. And so, just acknowledging that sometimes the power of self care is as easy as saying no to things that do not serve you. And, irrespective of, yes, this has been a family tradition for 50 years, I get it. But, you know, sometimes we have to advocate for what's best for us. And it could be that, you know, you need some quiet time or, you know, your spouse or significant other will take the kids so that you have. 30 minutes to read. It really can be simple. It doesn't necessarily have to be things that cost a lot of money. Like you mentioned bubble baths. And I mean, let's be honest. I mean, massages and manicures and pedicures, all those things are wonderful, but the real crux of the issue is in finding ways to invest in your mental, physical and spiritual growth. And for me, I read a lot. And and this is what works for me. And people laugh. Like if you were to look at my audible, I probably have 15 books in there. And then I probably have a stack of books. In fact, you would be humored to see how big the stack is. But I'm always wanting to learn more. Mm -hmm. But I also recognize that feeds like that, that relaxed side of me. Like I genuinely love learning. So it's really good for me to say, okay, I'm committing to 15 minutes of reading every day. And you'd be surprised how quickly, if you're very focused and you're not distracted by anything else, 15 minutes twice a day or 30 minutes once a day. How quickly you will get through a book. Like that's, you know, the whole self development books, I think, are really important. Um, but for me, it, this whole past year, it's been really just learning. Um, and, and I'm like very happy in that space. So the self care pace is absolutely positively critical. Mm-hmm. It does not have to be hours and hours of your time. I and mean, a lot of the things I talked about, with the exception of the exercise piece, which to me is a non negotiable. And then like walking outside, I know you're really, Good about getting in your 10,000 steps. And that's one thing that I really committed myself to with COVID was sometimes that was the only time I was by myself was when I was outside with my dogs, but how important it was to like, get some sunshine, get outside, get some fresh air, really, really important. Even if you only take 15 minutes a day, like aiming for those 10,000 steps, making sure you're lifting weights, Mm -hmm. um, you know, doing something to stretch. Like I'm closer to 50 than I am to 40 now. And so the stretching piece, sadly, (laughs) something, I have to really work on. And so I like intuitively work on that every single day, but really just finding things that you enjoy that bring you joy in some small way is really, really important. Well, and these little things, getting
0: outside for the sunshine, getting in steps, slowing down when you're eating, they have a significant impact. And I know some people listening are like, but I have like 30 pounds to lose. Mm -hmm. Like this
1: will help to Mm -hmm. get you there. Yeah. Well, and the one thing that people don't realize is when we're stressed, so weight gain and, and difficulty losing weight are a hormone issue. I'm going to say that again. If you can't lose weight, it is a hormone issue. So you have to think about your hormones. And so when you're stressed, what gets spiked cortisol, if cortisol's up, you're in fat storage mode. So this is when people say to me, I'm doing all the things and I'm working out like three hours a day. And I'm eating like a bird and I don't understand. And I'm fasting, like they're forcing all these things. And I always say your body has to feel safe and has to feel like it's in a position where it can relax. Otherwise you are not going to lose weight. So I always like to remind people that, you know, if you're eating like 20 snacks a day, or you're eating mini meals and you're drinking like sugary beverages all day long, I think the average American consumes sugar, sweetened beverages or food 16 or 17 times a day. And each time we eat, we secrete a hormone called insulin and insulin ultimately is a fat storage hormone. So uh, obviously a lot of my platform is about eating less often, Mm -hmm. but it's because we want to spike insulin less often. The less we spike insulin, the more our body is going to look to digging into the freezer to burn fat so that we can, you know, function optimally. So I find that a lot of people don't understand the hormone piece and it's, there's a lot of hormones that are impacted by that. You know, there are hormones that are impacted. when We don't get enough sleep. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, sleep is something that I, I think I, I have, it has become an art form for me. Mm-hmm. How can I get better sleep? How can I sleep? I don't wake up at night. I mean, I can't tell you how many women in their forties and fifties, they have horrible sleep. They wake up multiple times. They're miserable. They're, they're walking around in a fog. And if you don't get you know, seven, eight hours a night of sleep, uh, you are going to crave junk. You are not gonna crave broccoli and your satiety hormones are gonna be off. And that means you're gonna crave more food. And so it becomes this kind of snowball effect of really trying. And I don't I don't necessarily like to use the word hack, although that is, you know, biohacking is really hot right now. Just recognizing this interrelationship between self-care, hormone balance, and inability to lose weight. Um, for so many people, they don't make those connections until oftentimes they're pointed out for them.
0: I agree with you. And they don't realize that it is a hormone Mm -hmm. issue. And these things that we've discussed can totally help you with that. And that kind of like brings everything together of why I wanted Cynthia to chat with us today. Because you're just you're not resigned to maybe what you've seen your, happen with your mother. You don't have to gain the weight. You might have to work a little bit harder or do things you're not used to, but you just don't have to settle. Yeah. And I just think it's so important for women to understand. They don't have yeah. to settle for anything less.
1: Yeah. And I think there's also this mindset, and, and maybe it started like when I look at what my grandmothers looked like at 50, and then my mom, and then like as I'm getting close to 50, I'm like, I think we're changing the narrative. I really believe that, you know, women that are a little bit older than me, women that are in my kind of age range, uh, many of us are like, I still feel like super energetic and I have a great quality of life. And really we spend 40% of our lifetime in menopause, 40%. Why would you not want to ensure that you are doing everything you can to have a high quality life. Like to me, I'm sometimes stunned. There was a woman that I met socially uh, on social media recently. And I was like, and I'm usually a really good judge of age because after many years of working in healthcare I could get people like the doctors I used to work with were always humor. They're like, you were always spot on. (laughs) That woman was five years younger than me. She looked 15 years older. And so for me, I think there's very much this mentality for a lot of people. Like once they start gaining weight, they're like, ah, screw it. I'm just going to, you know, I'm going to be obese. I'm going to be overweight. I'm going to be very unhappy where I am, but this is just the way things are. And I remind people, I'm like, your quality of life is paramount for, for our entire lifetime. It should not be that you, because you're 35 and under, you would fight like hell to make sure you have a good quality of life. And then when you're when you become a mom or a wife or, you know, whatever stage or whatever the age of 40, whatever limiting beliefs you ascribe to that all of a sudden you're like, Oh, I'm just going to accept things as they are. Cause I'm always like, screw that. (laughs) That is not who I am. I'm like, I am going to go down fighting until the very end. And really it's because I derive so much joy from the work that I do, the people I interact with. And I see so many people who are older than me that are doing amazing things. I'm like, you know, our only limitations are in our minds. And I think yeah. that's really important for people to understand that mindset is everything. That is the most powerful thing you possess. And if you need work in this area, you know, Kylie is such an incredible uh, resource and, you know, has just the most positive mindset and just so thoughtful and intuitive about your approach to, um, you know, health and wellness. And I, I think that it's really important. Like, there are so many resources available, like, great books. Mm -hmm. And great podcasts, and uh, you know people that you can interact with on social media that are positive influences. It's like get out of your own head. Mm -hmm. If you're surrounded by people that are super negative and all they want to do is drink and party and eat a bunch of crappy foods, like you need some new friends. Like I, the people that we well with COVID, we're not doing a lot of hanging out with anyone. But I can tell you that the the people that we normally hang out with, we all kind of have same shared values about. High quality food. And, and yes, we all have fun. And yes, we normally take vacations, but life is about finding some degree of balance. You know, balance can be elusive, but I'm a huge advocate of people really aligning themselves with individuals that um, can help you find your true purpose and help you develop and maintain, you know, healthy lifestyle choices. My extended family sometimes thinks I'm bananas. I love my brother and my sister-in-law, but they think my whole kind of gluten dairy free existence is weird and so i always say like be weird i i always tell them i'm like i don't care what you guys think i mean to me it, it's it's like this is the way we choose to live our lives and this works for us mm-hmm. it's really what it comes down to i don't need you know the validation from someone else and in fact i kind of laugh about being teased about it it's like okay that's fine you'll just realize in a couple of years i was right but that's fine we'll just exactly leave it.
0: i mean because you have to wonder How do, how do they feel? Maybe they feel great. Maybe they're telling themselves they feel great. I don't know, but you know what makes you feel great. And that's all that
1: matters. Exactly, exactly. And I think it's important for people to do, like we call the end of one. So you as an individual figure out what makes you feel great. And that's what you continue doing. I would say that always validates, like if what I'm doing makes me feel awesome, then I'll continue doing that. And if it doesn't, doesn't resonate, doesn't work, then I won't. I love it. So I have one last question for you. Do things change? We've talked a lot
0: about perimenopause. What about you've crossed over you've you're, you're in menopause. Mm -hmm. Is there any, are there any different guidelines for a a woman at that point in terms of what they should eat? Do Mm -hmm. they start the intermittent fasting then do like, how does the game
1: change? Uh, um, (laughs) No, no. It's a good question. I think, perimenopause is really giving a woman an opportunity to start making those changes. And so the things that I really focus in on at that stage is, okay, you can have carbs. I'm not anti-carb, but you can't have whatever carbs you want. So especially processed carbs, refined carbs, flours, I don't care if they're gluten and grain free. I'm talking about all of it, all the processed carbs. You cannot eat them very often unless you want to have a weight problem. And so you can have sweet potatoes, you can have root vegetables, you can have squash, but you can't have copious amounts. Like you can't go bananas and eat like three sweet potatoes. It's (laughs) portion sizes matter with regard to carbohydrates. You know, I think a lot of the macros need to shift. And so I always talk about protein first and then some healthy fats. Although not everyone does well with ketogenic diets, I think largely because people get it wrong and they take these whopping doses of fats. And I like to remind people like in terms of macros, like, your fats are going to be, um, so portions of fat are important. So if someone has like a six ounce piece of steak and they think they can eat a whole avocado, well, I'm here to tell you probably can't uh, because fats are calorically, and I don't count calories, but I remind people that they're much more nutrient dense. So you need a small portion of healthy fats and that will kind of help guide you. So carbs are one thing, refined sugars and alcohol for most, if not all of my menopausal women, they just don't work for them anymore. Either it drops their blood sugar, makes them feel like crap, spikes their insulin, impacts their sleep, Um, alcohol in general. And I know this is going to make me sound like a wet blanket as we're getting closer to New Year's. um, Alcohol, we know, dysregulates your blood sugar, spikes your cortisol, and dysregulates your melatonin. So what that tells you is you're going to feel like crap, you're going to crave foods you wouldn't normally eat, and you're not going to be able to sleep, and you might get some hot flashes. So I don't know about anyone that's listening. I don't like getting hot flashes and I only get hot flashes if I drink. So I just don't drink anymore. So I would say that, you know, really kind of examining your relationship with sweets and alcohol, Mm -hmm. um, you know, finding that the self-care piece becomes absolutely critical because we're more prone to inflammation Mm -hmm. when we're menopausal. And so inflammaging, you know, I I touched on a couple, the alcohol, the processed sweets, the lack of sleep, you got to get your sleep in. And there's no study that has been able to convince me that uh, you need any less than seven to eight hours a night of sleep. And in fact, the best thing you can do is just not set your alarm and see when you wake up. And I would imagine most people would probably easily sleep seven to nine hours mm-hmm. without much of a stretch. There's just too many restorative things that happen in sleep that if they aren't tapped into growth hormone, the glymphatic system, which is this waste and recycling process. Um, I also like to think about eating less often. And so maybe you're not someone that embraces intermittent fasting. No one should be snacking. Mm -hmm. I don't like the concept of snacks. Uh, We're not two-year-olds and four-year-olds. We should not need snacks. Because if you get your macros right with your meals, you Mm -hmm. should never need a snack. Snack, I'm like anti-snacking. I'm not anti-carb, I'm anti-snacking. So a lot of people get curious about intermittent fasting. And I recognize that may not be everyone's, you know, that may not be what everyone's focus is, but I would encourage you to experiment with eating less often. You know, maybe you eat dinner at six o'clock at night. You don't eat breakfast till 10. You probably don't even realize you're already fasting 16 hours. You may already be doing it, but intermittent fasting is much easier if all other things are dialed in for women in menopause, because you're not getting a period anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, I always say our periods are kind of like our, um, a vital sign that we don't think about in that regard. So when your period goes away while you're fasting, it's a sign, it may be too much stress. Mm -hmm. So, you know, sleep, stress, macros, all really critical, Mm -hmm. you know, really diving in deep. If you're not getting the kind of results that you're looking for, I think it's important to know, like, is it a heavy metal issue? Are you hanging on to weight because, you know, you've got mercury amalgams in your mouth, or your mom had mercury amalgams, and they can be transferred in utero. I don't know if anyone knows that. Um, I actually had a mercury problem because my mom had a bunch of mercury fillings, and it wasn't until I was in middle age that became a problem. But really diving into the basics, I think that's really critical, making sure you're hydrated, uh, you know, making sure you're getting some exercise, and exercise looks a little different. I would probably. Um, argue that weight training, strength training is the most important thing you can do because the more muscle mass you have, you think about muscles as being a reservoir for glucose or, or sugar. And so the more muscle mass you have, the more calories you burn, The less likely you are to develop something called sarcopenia which is muscle loss with aging look at any even thin women in their 40s and 50s if they're not lifting weights they kind of get these like skinny muscles they're no longer like plump muscles Mm -hmm. and some of that is a byproduct of estradiol which is the active form of estrogen prior to going through menopause and i always get questions about what are my thoughts on bioidentical hormones i think this is highly bioindividual uh, all the other pieces that I've talked about—the sleep, the stress, the nutrition—you um, know, strength training—all those are critical. You got to dial in on those first, and then if you still need bioidenticals, obviously that might be a good addition. But you know, you don't start with bioidenticals first. That's that's the mistake I see a lot of providers making is that if you put someone on bioidenticals and they gain 15 pounds, and then they're feeling badly about themselves because they're like, "Where did this come from?" Mm-hmm it's because they hadn't done all the other foundational work first. So uh, obviously you want to have a good conversation with your healthcare provider and hopefully you're both aligned. I know there are a lot of people who are very fearful of being on bioidenticals and there's absolutely, a, there's absolutely people who should be on them. Mm-hmm. There are people who need to do other work first before they're going to be in a position to be ready. And then there's some people who I, I think can thrive without them. I think it's just it really depends on who you are and how well you take care of yourself. Mm-hmm. Well, and I, I want to you know, reinforce what you just said. Yes,
0: weight loss, fat loss is a hormone issue, but before you go in with blaming your hormones, we need to make sure that all these yeah. other things yeah. are dialed in. Yeah. Oh, and I'm a big wet blanket too. I <laughs> try not to get too preachy about it yeah. when it comes to wine and alcohol, but like, once you know the repercussions of alcohol, how it disrupts your sleep and everything else that comes along with it. It's to me, it's just not worth it. I mean, no. sometimes it is, but not very often once or twice a year for me. And it's
1: just not that great. No. And it's, and it's funny. We have very good friends are the only couple that we have socialized with during COVID. We're all kind of on the same page. Our kids are about the same age. And, uh, we had dinner at their house, gosh, in like November. And here's the funny thing that, you know, I'm, I'm at their house. I had some gluten-free crackers, I had one martini, I had a big meal, like I had a good meal. And then I had some gluten-free cookies. you know, I fell asleep on their couch and I felt horrible. And so they were like, are you okay? And I'm like, no, I was like, I can't drink anymore. It's like during COVID, my husband might have, you know a mar- might have a martini or gin and tonic on the weekend, but we don't drink a whole lot. And I finally just said, I think I'm at a point in my adult life where I just don't do well with alcohol anymore. Because to me, my sleep is too important and it makes me feel like crap. Mm -hmm. And um, I end up craving foods I wouldn't otherwise eat. Like for me, I just, I don't do well. Like cookies are my kryptonite. So I just can't even eat one. Like people Mm -hmm. talk about moderation. I can moderate some dark chocolate. I cannot moderate a cookie. So I just don't even eat them. Like I'm the person at the party that will like, look at this amazing spread of sweets. And I'm like, nope, because once (laughs) I eat one, I don't stop. Yes. There's this book uh, by Gretchen Rubin. Um,
0: I don't think it's in her book, The Four Tendencies, but another one called better than before or something, but there's abstainers and there's moderators and we're not one or the other. It's like, okay, for me, I'm the same way. I can moderate some ice cream cookies. No game no, over.
1: No, I think it's the flower. Like I was actually, so one of the things that I started doing in to be completely transparent, I was like, okay, I'm telling some of my women that they need to be weighing themselves daily, which is completely contrary to what I've always said. I don't want people like getting fixated on the scale, but a good friend of mine who's older and is very fit said, but then, you know, when you've overdone it. And so I was laughing. I was like, I had like two days of baking cookies with my kids. I gained four pounds from eating the cookies. And then two days later, I lost the four pounds because I was no longer eating the cookies. So for me, they drive inflammation. And for me, it's not a good. And so I actually said to her, that was such a valuable exercise. Like now I understand it, but I also like, I don't live and die by that number. Like that's, that's where my personality is, but it was very, very insightful to be able to say, okay, you overdid it with the cookies, because you can look at that number on the scale and it's up by four pounds. I'm like, four pounds from eating a couple cookies two days in a row. I'm like, oh my God. So it's like sugar's inflammatory, mm-hmm. and clearly uh inflammation drives some degree. And then also the carbohydrate thing, you you tend to gain water weight with carbs, but just the point of you know being fully transparent with yourself and saying like I don't moderate these at all so it's better just not to even tempt myself
0: right and you know again not to get preachy or can you moderate your wine i just i just want people to start examining this
1: yeah and i think it's it's it comes from a place of love like Mm -hmm. everyone's got their own kryptonite like i have some patients who'll say to me like oh my god i'm a savory person and give me all the potatoes or give me all the chips and i'm like yeah i could take that or leave it but i totally get it it's just it's being honest with yourself and and being honest about your habits what's serving you what is not Mm -hmm. and uh you know talk to people that you live with. Like, if I really want to have people understand in my household, why I'm doing certain things, I just tell them, I'm like, right now I am no longer eating cookies. And so the other night everyone had had their fill of like Christmas cookies and Christmas crap. And so I said, everyone, this is the last night. So if you want it, you got to eat it. And so they were laughing as I just dumped all, they were like, but you spent all this time baking. I said, yes, I did. (laughs) It's the process. And now we're done. I'm like, I'm done because it's not serving me. It's too tempting. And normally we don't buy these things. And so my kids thought it was hilarious, but they're, you know, much like your household, I'm the only female and my kids' metabolisms are like hummingbirds. They can eat anything, anything at all. They don't gain a pound. (laughs) Oh, to be a teenage boy. (laughs) Totally. Oh my gosh, Cynthia,
0: this was so informative. Um, Where can we find you? Oh, you guys. First off, you must listen to Cynthia's podcast. What's the name of your
1: podcast? Everyday Wellness.
0: Everyday Wellness. That's going in the show notes.
1: You won't believe the speakers she gets. I mean, you've had, have you already interviewed Wim Hof? I had Wim Hof in November and Jason Fung and JJ Virgin. And it's been an incredible year. And so this is what I would say to anyone that's listening in your life. Like, ask. You don't know until you ask. And so like I kept saying, I just kept aiming higher. I was like, okay, I'm gonna ask this person. And and I, you know, I, I was just like, and they don't say no. I've only had one, I had a no once from one person, but it wasn't because they didn't want to come on. They were like, it's just timing wise, it doesn't work. I was like, that's fine, I'll be persistent.
0: <laughs> My favorite one so far is um the Alyssa VD one mm-hmm. that was fascinating to me.
1: Yeah. Well, and I, we went to the same undergraduate institution. I was like, no one ever talked to me about that. The infradian rhythm, no one ever. That, my, that blew my mind. I said, ladies, everyone in my group, listen
0: to this right now. Yeah. Yeah. So check out her podcast and sounds like you might be kept out on clients. Is
1: that true? I'm not. So I'm writing a book, so I'm not taking new one-on-ones, but I do have an amazing advanced practice nurse, Tessa, who works with me, who is taking, New clients, um, and we have group programs. We've got um, intermittent fasting masterclass, and then this program Clean and Fourteen, which I'm excited about because I, you know, it's funny how like we as entrepreneurs we hear people's like concerns, their issues, and so I was like, you know, let's just do like it's after the holidays, let's clean up our diet, let's get some new habits on board, and then let's like jump into this masterclass. And so that's a new program that we created this year. But a lot of a lot of my emotional, intellectual energy is going into this book. Well, uh, this is very exciting.
0: Do you have due dates for yourself for this book?
1: Yeah. So the um, the publisher has given me a tentative due date for the manuscript of May. So January through May, that's all I'm going to really be doing, that and, and recording for the podcast. Yeah. And so we've kind of shifted the business so that we can make that happen because mm-hmm. um, just the book proposal, which was 80 pages, I, I just kept saying if this is if this is anything like writing a book, I may not survive. <laughs> yeah. It's so much harder than what you realize, but really it's because these book proposals, this is how my lit agent was able to secure um appointments for me with like seven different publishing houses, which was really cool. And so they they can really envision what the book is going to be like, uh, which is super, super cool. But yeah, May, but that then means that it takes six months till the book is published. So we're talking 2022. And they're they're saying like they don't know if they want to release it in January or like February March. So uh, I'll definitely keep you updated. But yeah, it's really really cool.
0: Wow! I mean, what what a year! What a couple of years for you! It has really been exciting to watch, Cynthia. Oh, Thanks thank for inspiring you. me always.
1: Oh, thank you. Likewise, I love your positivity and and love your kind of upbeat. I think in a sea of of fit professionals that I see, I mean, you take things to a different level, like you work on the mindset and not just the techniques to get people to their goals. And I think that that uh, really differentiates you. So I love seeing how your brand has kind of evolved and changed as well. Thank you. Because to be honest,
0: I get so sick of talking about what to eat. <laughs>
1: about was, else. No, but it, but it has to be more than that. Like I always say it all starts with food, but like what motivates us to eat the foods that we eat absolutely care of ourselves. So, well,
0: thank you again for your time. I will get this posted as soon as I can with links to everything that connect people with you. Enjoy the rest of your day, my friend. Thank you, you too. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye.